All right, all right. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm the lead pastor here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's Word. What we typically do is go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We have, however, been in a unique sermon series this summer called Ancient Paths, doing the topical message through uh, different spiritual disciplines. We are going to finish that sermon series next week and then jump back into 1 Corinthians, which we'll finish out right before Christmas uh, and, then, and then into the new year. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, man, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. It's about Jesus and he's who we're here to worship. And so um, if you have any questions about the Bible, we'd love to answer those. But uh, second to last week right now in Ancient Paths, what we're going to look at today is the, the spiritual discipline of community. Now, community is a buzzword. Let's just be honest. Everyone has a different definition of community. And so we're going to define community according to God's word today. So we're looking at biblical community, but everyone has their community. This is what we hear. We hear the word community used in, 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 in every context known to man in our day and age. And so what I want, we're going to see today is uh, a biblical community has a few, few facets, shared relationships and formative friendships uh, together. And so what we're going to look at those, but first First, what I want to do is I want us to uh, build a theological foundation for community. Like, where is community rooted in the Bible? Where does community start with? And it starts with, like everything, with God. With God. If we don't start with God, then we've missed the starting point because the world doesn't revolve around us. It does around Him. And so in the beginning, in Genesis 1, 2, uh, I'm going to read it. You have the verse reference uh, on, on the screen. And so God exists in community. That's the first thing we need to see. God exists in community. In Genesis 1, 1 through 2, it says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Additionally, in John chapter 1, 1 through 3, it says this, In the beginning, so John's telling the story also, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without him, not a thing was made that was made. So what this is, John is saying is the word was there in the beginning. Who's the word? The word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning, before the foundation of the earth, Jesus Christ existed eternally. He is God. Additionally, what we see in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2, we see that, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So we see the Holy Spirit there. So we see God the Father, God, we see God the, the Son, Jesus Christ, and we see God the Spirit all existing at the beginning. So we believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All are God, but distinct persons. They were all present at creation. Why do I make this point? It's because God exists in community. He exists in eternal community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit cannot be separated. They are one. They exist in eternal union in community. And so the, the, uh, in the presence of, of God, there is what we see in Psalm 1611 is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the, the most happy, most joy-filled, the most the thriving, flourishing community is God himself. That overflow, that, that infinite joy, that abundant life, that completeness, not lacking, exquisite community, the Godhead, the Trinity said, let us make man in our likeness and our image. Let us, implying that there's an us, that there's, that there, there's plurality in, the, in that leadership community. So the next thing we see as a theological foundation is that mankind was created in the image of God. Genesis 126, that's when God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our likeness and our image. So mankind, what is mankind to do? They're to reflect God. 
to, to literally mirror him. That's what it means to image him. We were made in the image of God to reflect our creator. In, in our words, in our deeds, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our entire life, we are to rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. That's, what, that's the command. From the beginning, that's what Adam and Eve were to do. They were to rule over what God had entrusted them. They were to uh, be in submission to their creator, but to rule and reflect their creator in how they exercised dominion, how they ruled, how they led, how they, 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 they started a family, how they pursued justice, how they pursued wisdom, how they organized everything was to be a reflection of the God who created them. Another way uh, we are to image God is through our relationships. So we re- reflect God and we image God through ruling, reigning, doing the tasks that he has called us to. But another way we do so is through relationships. In, in, inherited in the design of humanity was this need for relationships. We were made first to be in relationship with God, to know God. And number two, we were made for relationship with others. So Adam walking in the garden by himself, but not by himself because he's with God. God tells him, hey, it's not good that what man should be alone. We see this in, in this, God created us for relationships. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, he's specifically speaking here in terms of that, not that God was lacking because he's, complete. God is complete. So some will say God was lacking, so he created mankind because God needed something. False. God didn't need anything. He's eternally existing in perfect harmony, in in community with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect unity, perfect joy, in perfection, in his presence forever. But mankind, created in God's image, still was lacking his ability to reflect God perfectly. And to reflect God, how God was created. We didn't have a community. There was no people. And so God wanted to populate the earth. And he also wanted mankind, to, uh, Adam, to not be alone. And so he made him a helper. Specifically, he's talking about a wife. Single men. It's not good that you're alone. Like, it's not good. Single men are not, good, not helpful, not good. It's, it's, it's a really bad thing to be single. If you're single and you're like, well, that sounds mean. Do you want to be married? Yes. So you agree with me. It's good to be married. It's good to desire a wife. Ladies, it's good for you to desire a husband. It's not good that man should be alone. God saw and said, hey, it's not good, so I'm going to make you a helper fit for you. So the first community that is created is the family unit. So it's interesting that our day and age, we talk a lot about uh, a family, or sorry, sorry, we talk a lot about community, but we also talk about splitting up the family. We're not pro-family in our nation. We're anti-family, but apparently pro-community. Where the community starts in the Bible is with the family, with God first, so we don't like God in our nation, uh, and then we also don't like family in our nation. So those, you can see the demonic counterfeit in our world today at work, because we see in the beginning we have God, and then we have him creating man in his image to, to rule in his likeness, and first thing he needs is a helper. He needs a wife. He needs a spouse. And so the first community is your family. So if you're married, and your husband, your wife, that's your first community, your first community. And if, you, if you're like me, you don't like being alone. I can be alone. I'm okay with being alone, but I don't like being alone for long periods of time. And there's a show my family and I, we loved watching called Alone. Some of, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting show. It's about people who go out to the wilderness and they're alone. One of the reasons why people tap out, they don't like finishing the show is, it's the goal of the show is who can last the longest in the wild alone. It's because they don't like being alone. Some of you are like, that sounds dumb. Yeah, you shouldn't be alone. 
Mankind wasn't made to be alone for long periods of time. And so the only time we see Jesus getting alone in the scriptures is he gets alone to be with God the Father in prayer. He withdraws to be alone. Maybe to take a nap. But then he always, when he gets alone, he always rejoins life and community. So relationship priorities, we've got to see God created four relationships. Our first priority is to our spouse. You have kids, your next relational priority is to your kids. See, it's to the family. What we're going to see about later is that God in Christ Jesus, he creates a new family, the church family. So we're going to spend some time talking about that here, here in a moment. But I just want us to see the, the foundation uh, uh, theologically for why we talk and use the word community and why we, we were pro-community is because God exists in community, that mankind was made in the image of God to reflect God. And one of the ways we reflect God is through shared relationships in the context of, quote, community. And so we are to here, your, your home is to reflect heaven. That's what it's supposed to do. Uh, it's to be a, 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 the family unit. It's to be a, a governing or, or organism or a space to reflect God's nature and character in the home. Additionally, the church is to, to reflect God's nature and character here. We're, we have a kingdom culture here. Jesus teaches us that we are to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the, the church should do things according to the kingdom principles differently than the world. So we should think about relationships differently than the world. So most of the rest of the sermon is how, how we're going to talk about this, is how we do relationships differently than the world. And if you looked around, if you've been out there, it's crazy out there. We all admit it. But no one really has an alternative. An alternative. And, the, and that's because in, in the first community, when we see Adam and Eve, they're, they're, they're literally heaven on earth, perfect harmony, unity, sin had not... Ha, you know, you know, come into to the world yet. Before that moment, there's this there's this moment of community being established, and immediately when when the man is married to the woman, what happens immediately? A demonic attack. The man gets attacked. The marriage gets attacked. The community gets attacked when there's a call in their life and a mission. That's what we see in the beginning, and so we move to sin invading. Biblical community. It's the first thing we see. So we get into chapter 3 of Genesis. So 1 and 2 is creation. Things are going well. Chapter 3, Satan enters the picture and he tempts Adam and Eve to sin against God, to rebel against their commander-in-chief, their God, their king, to be disloyal to them and to rebel and sin against God. And, he, and Satan distorts the truth and what ends up happening is he, he pits mankind against God and says, hey, God doesn't have your best intentions for you. So mankind starts questioning God's goodness. It's where the root of sin always is. We question God's goodness. Well, God really doesn't want me to have a lot of pleasure and joy, apparently, because he doesn't want me to do these certain things. He's such a mean God. That's how we view. We, we, we read the scripture and go, well, God says this. Well, that just doesn't fit my life right now. That seems inconvenient. I don't really want to do that. Like, this is the heart of sin that just desires to rebel against God. And what happened when sin entered the world is that our, our relationship with God was severed. It was broken. So when mankind rebelled against God, sin enters the world, the sin invaded the, the first community, the first thing that happened was mankind was separated from God, literally was kicked out of the garden. Sin separates us from God. That's the first thing we have to see. Additionally, though, it affects our relationships with others. Some of you are like, yeah, well, I, I get it, it separates us from God, but, but what, about, uh, what about everything else? Immediately after that, chapter 4 of Genesis, what happens? And if you remember, Cain kills his brother Abel. Like we go from eating a piece of fruit to murder in one chapter. 
Why? Because sin spreads so fast. We're foolish to think that just a little sin and a little bit of my way and a little bit of less God's way will just, you know, I can just exist here for a time and it can be, it can be good. If left to its own devices, sin will, will not just partake some inch or two of your land and your heart. It will, it will consume you entirely like it did Cain. And God shows up to warn Cain that says, hey, sin is going to devour you. You must rule over it. As an image bearer of God, he didn't. Sin ruled over him, and he, and he killed his, his brother. So what I want us to see here is that when sin invades a community, what it does, it, it distorts our relationship and severs and breaks our relationship with God. But more so, it, it also does that with our relationships with others. Sin separates us from God and separates us from one another. It, it shatters everything. And so Satan's, his objective is to di- distort the reality, to discourage the people, to destroy what God created, to separate what God put together. And so this is what happens when sin enters a relationship, when sin enters a community, when sin enters the world. And like Adam and Eve, what they did, they withdrew from God and hid from him because of shame. Oftentimes when we're aware of our sin and shame, we withdraw from God, or withdraw from people in shame. See, what do we do? We leave the context of community. Oh, I've been hurt by somebody. I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to be around people anymore. I don't want to, oh, I don't trust these people anymore. You see it all the time, which is bizarre to me. Because every one of you have been, you've had a waiter or waitress that you're like, ah, I don't like that service there. And then you keep coming back. It's just true. You just made go to a different restaurant. You didn't stop eating for the rest of your life. I went to a restaurant and they treated me poorly. I'm going to fast forever. No one has said that. Why? Because that's foolish. Same, same type of logic people do when it comes to churches and relationships. The inability to work things out, to walk in, or at least make effort to walk them out, shows that our hearts are prone to being consumed by sin that, that separates relationships. Now, I'm not talking about all relationships can be mended and should be mended forever. What I'm saying is when, when, when our default, when we see our default is to, 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 move, to have emotional scars and move away, if we need to be aware that, that God is at work and Satan's at work at the same time. God wants his people to seek reconciliation, which we'll get to in a moment. And so what I want us to see is many of us in here, you have emotional scars from relationships, from sin when it entered, or sin you've committed or committed against you. You understand that sin has affected your friends and your family. You see it. You see it. You know it. But the thing is, every generation thinks they have a remedy. They think they can fix it. Every generation thinks they can fix it. We have a new politician or a new singer-songwriter that comes up with the, the new way to fix the, the, the old problem. Everyone's got a new way to fix it. We call it like being progressive. It really is regressive, but like this is the way we live. Like it's, we're not getting better in our, in our attempt to push back sin. We're getting worse. The kingdom of God isn't. The kingdom of God has power to push back darkness and bring light, but no one else does. Like every politician has some sort of campaign slogan that, we, that the world rallies behind as if they're going to fix something. Like Obama was hope. Sounds good. I have hope. But if it's hope not in Jesus, not really good hope. Uh, additionally, Trump's like, let's make America great again. Awesome. Well, if one way America can be great is repent of their sin. It won't be unless they do. And then, you know, Biden wants to build back better, but like, you know, build back on what principles? On what are we building back to? 
See, these visions of these men are like band-aids on a, on a punctured artery, impossible to stop the bleed. And, and imminent, imminent death is soon. If we keep playing around with, with just vocabulary and, and ideas and visions of the future without the true remedy of Jesus and the gospel and salvation, which God provides... See, the underlying problem we need to address is the sickness and its sin. And it's affected and infected every single human who's ever lived and breathed on planet Earth. And there's not a policy, it's not a, it's not a, a, a regime, it's not, a, it's not anything that can do to push back sin and its effect but the gospel of Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't participate in politics, we don't participate in policies. What I'm saying is that our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus. And if people get saved, things will change. If people meet Jesus, they will change. How do I know this? Well, there's a book in the Bible called Acts. It's one of the books we take our cues from. Well, there was no Christians, there was no church, there was zero of them. They started off as 12, and then there was 120, then there was 1,000. What did they do? They preached. Amazing. They just preached sermons, and people were getting saved. Additionally, what ended up happening is the government told them to stop preaching. What they say? No, we're not going to stop preaching. They kept preaching. People kept getting saved. Like we do the tried and true method of the scriptures to preach until people get saved. We just keep doing it. And, and equipping the saints, that's the church members, to keep doing that where they live, work, and play until everyone knows Jesus. What ended up happening in Acts where there was this guy who, was a, who, who, who made idols uh, to, so that people could worship these false gods. And he got saved. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to shut down my idol factory. We're just going to worship Jesus. He's like, I'm done. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to sell my, my I'm going to stop doing what God forbids and is displeasing to God because I met Jesus. I got saved. I'm going to shut down my business. Start walking upright according to God's word in ways. What happened? The city changed. And guess what happened? A riot broke out because the city didn't want to worship the God of the Bible. They wanted to worship false gods. But the city changed. There was transformation through the preaching of the gospel. And the Christians heralding the flag of Jesus, the banner of Jesus, where they lived, work, and play. And so this is, what, this, is what, this is the help we need. This is going to mend and fix what is broken. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus restoring mankind back to relationship with God. So Jesus reconciled us to God. This is what we see next. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, it says, All of this is from God, through whom Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, community begins with God. We broke it, and God fixes it. That's the story of the Bible. It starts with God. We're the problem. He's the solution. That's the whole Bible. Every single book, every single chapter has this resounding reality that we god is good we mess it up and he needs to fix it that's true so what what this means god reconciles himself to us jesus reconciles himself to us means he literally restores to us a relationship with god what we broke through sin jesus restores through the cross so what Jesus does on the cross is he dies in our place for our sin right sin separates us from god So what does Jesus take on? Jesus takes on the sin of the world, the very thing that separates us from God, and says, you know what? I'll take credit for their sin, their past sin, their present sin, their future sin. I will stand their place for their sin and be killed on their behalf so that they won't, 
so that they can have right relationship with God through faith. Jesus, not only, be, not, not only uh, what we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes the very thing. Our, he becomes sin on our behalf, crucified in our place so that we can be reconciled to God, that we can become the righteousness of God, so that through faith in Jesus, he takes our sin and he gives us his perfection, his righteousness. And with his righteousness, we now have restoration between mankind and God. So we, if you are in Christ, you know, love and trust Jesus. Your sin has been dealt with, your past, present, future, forgiven. You've been granted Jesus Christ's perfection, his righteousness, so that you can now have a right, restored relationship with God the Father. Your relationship with God has been restored. Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God and therefore has given you a ministry of reconciliation. And so in our day, we want to talk a lot about reconciliation, reconcile for the past. We want to talk about, notice, listen in our culture. I'm not just mocking them. I am, but, I, but I'm, I'm mocking them with a point. Listen to it. You'll hear a lot of talk about it. But tell me, Anyone who wants to talk about reconciliation and doesn't want to talk about how God, we need to be reconciled to God doesn't understand the need for reconciliation. We need to be reconciled with God. We do need to be reconciled with people. We have no power to be reconciled with people without the power of God who reconciles us first. So Christians should. We should be the ones who lead the charge in rec- reconciliation. Because we, we have the ministry. We've been given the ministry. We need to tell others that God has made a way for them to be reconciled with Him. And that through Him, we get the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and that can help change our relationships. And so God has reconciled us to Himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are a blood-bought family. You understand this. If you're a Christian in here today, we're all family. We're all family. The church down the street, if they know, love, and trust Jesus, even though they vote differently than you, I know, they're family. Someone in Africa who's looking over at us going, man, Americans have lost their mind. Yep, they got to accept us as family too. If they're Christians, if they're Christians, we're a blood-bought family. So this is what he says in Ephesians 2, 18 through 20. It says, for through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being, being the cornerstone. Through Jesus, we have become part of this heavenly family. Do we see this here? See, through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father, meaning God, if you're a Christian, God's your Father. That's what it means. God is your Father. God is our Father. Additionally, it says we're no longer separated. You were once strangers and aliens. You were once separated from God. But now you're fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. We are members of God's family. We are considered saints, not sinners. Though we sin, our identity is not found in, in, our, in our sin in, of, of the past. It has been dealt with, done, we've been forgiven. Our identity has been made as righteous sons and daughters, citizens, saints. That's who we are. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're citizens. We're children of, of, of the holy family. 
That's who we are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, that is not true of you. But if you are, that is true. That is true. So we're a, we're a part of a, a blood-bought family. And I want to see this. If Jesus was willing to give his life, spill his blood for you to be in his family, shouldn't you view the rest of the family differently, at least a little bit? I mean, Jesus, he saved me. He saved you. Dang, he's good, God. If he can save me and you, whoo. And all of us, like put all of our sin together. You know, man, this is not a good crew. This is like, this is not the best crew. See, Jesus dies in the place of sinners. And he saves them. But he saves them not in isolation. He saves them unto a family. With real people for real relationships. It's not just figuratively speaking here that you're now part of the family of God. You're citizens of, and members of the household of God. And it's just a title you wear without actual relationships with real people. Real humans. Jesus says when you leave houses, mothers, brothers, sisters, lands, for my name's sake, says you gain in this life and in life to come a hundredfold. What he says is that, what I want us to see is that this blood-bought family is greater in a sense than our, merely our earthly family. Now, our, our, our earthly family is, a, is, especially if the, you have a family lineage that, man, you are all knowing, loving, walking with Jesus. That's a, a great lineage of faith, and I pray that would be the true for all of us. But there is a reality that some of you are, 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 are members of families, and you're the only Christians. You're the only Christians, so no one shares your view of the Bible. No one shares your, you know, the, 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 the God you worship. No one, understand, no one understands why you parent your kids a certain way. Like it just, you just feel like an alien and a stranger in your own family. I want, to know that's a, I want you to know that's a real thing in our day and age, to feel that way in your own family. But I want you to see in Christ, you went from a stranger and alien uh, and, uh, and, and separated from God's family to being adopted into his family. And sometimes that makes you feel like an alien, a stranger in your own family. They don't know, love, and trust Jesus. But, but, but the bottom line is that as Christians, you have a heavenly family. Through the gospel of Jesus, you've been bought back. We are family. God is our father. Jesus is our big brother. We are siblings. And if you've ever been in a family and have multiple siblings, you know siblings fight. Just because I don't want this to paint this picture of like, oh, this is an awesome thing. We're all family. It's great. Yeah. So we annoy each other sometimes. It's not fun sometimes. We don't get along all the time. We disagree a lot of the times. Siblings fight. Siblings get frustrated. Family is messy. But I want you to see what's different is that Jesus has bought us with his life purchased us, placed us into this family with his life, not by your choice, not by your merit, not by you, by his own blood, he's brought you into this family. Now as Christians, we now have the spirit of God living in us through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can deal with the difficulties of the family in a godly way like we were intended to back in Genesis. When Cain was supposed to rule over his sin instead of you know, ruling his brother, he was to rule over his sin. Instead of doing that, instead of we now have the Holy Spirit who allows us to produce fruit that is that of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and yes, self-control to restrain yourself from saying or doing something that you wouldn't want to be done in love for your brother or sister. I'm talking about Christians to Christian so that we can actually forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying as a Christian, you now have access to help in which you did not have prior to salvation. You have the Holy Spirit. You have something that, that the world does not have. You, you, you want, we're, we're asking the world to reconcile themselves to one another without the spirit of reconciliation. We see this. The Holy Spirit is the one who reconciles us to God and reconciles us with one another. We need Jesus. We need the Spirit of God. So we are in a blood-bought family. Jesus has purchased us. And so now I, I, wanna, I want you to think about how the, we're going to talk about how the kingdom prioritizes these relationships, as we should too. Shared relationships in the context for care. Galatians 6.10. So then, so in light of all that, I want us to see that we have an opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Last week we talked about serving. This week I want us to see the context in which we, we, we first must serve. So we are we to serve uh, non-Christians? Absolutely. Be good to everyone. Love everyone. Every single person. First, so the non-Christian, we should, for the Christian, you should have relationships with non-Christian people. You should. And you should have the type of relationship, uh, a shared relationship with them, and that, that they're in your sphere of influence, that you can do good to them. You should have some sort of relationship there. But, he says, you should especially do good and care for those who are in the household of faith, who are part of your family, Christians. That's what he's saying. And so sometimes we can be so committed to uh, uh, being on mission for Jesus that in, in, in meeting the needs of the lost and hurting world that are out there that we forget the, to care for the household, those who are in the church. And so I believe it was, it was probably similar in the first century when the church is growing and they're, they're reaching more people, they're on mission, they're, and the, the needs are growing. And then they, they, and Paul has to write and say, hey, do good to everyone, but hey, don't forget, especially the household of faith, don't forget your brothers in the church. Care for one another in, in your community, in your context, in your church. See, we need one another. We need one another, period. We need one another. Some of you don't think you need one another, but that's because you're hard-hearted and sinful in this regard. You need one another. You do. Everyone does. See, some of you, you, you we either need one another because you need to be a caregiver for somebody, or you need care and that you need to receive care. Right? So if you go to a hospital, some people are there because they are working. Others are there because they need help. And others are there supporting those who need help and those who are helping. Right? We see this context happening in, when someone needs help, someone needs care. See, Martin Luther said it this way. The world, or, or sorry, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. The, the people in our church need your good works. So some of you, because you don't want to ask for help, or you don't want to, you, you're just a self-made person, man, and you, wanna, you don't need help, and you don't need anyone to help care for you, you don't give care to others. Or you do give care to others, but won't receive it, as if you are God and you don't need anything. See, the bottom line is we all need care at some point in time. 
some point in time, every single person in here will need care from God's people. It may not be financially. It may be encouragement. It, might, it may be uh, uh, j- just a... Uh, um, to share a conversation or a friendship or a relationship. Maybe it is uh, some need comes up, some drastic need. Or we find ourselves in the world moving forward in the future in our nation where rights get taken from you, jobs get canceled, you get fired from different things, and you're like, I have no place, I have no provision for my family anymore because I got fired at my job for standing up for Jesus and I wouldn't comply to the nonsense of the culture, and they fired me. Who's going to help you? The government that you just defied? No, the church. See, what I'm talking about here is not necessarily where you're at today, but a community and a culture that's ready for tomorrow. But if you don't have the Spirit of God in you right now to see that this this must be cultivated, that that just doesn't happen overnight, then you'll miss it when the opportunity comes. You won't be ready because you won't have practiced. You won't know what it's like to care or be cared for. See, you have to cultivate relationships in the church so that stuff like this can happen. You have to cultivate it. See, everyone wants, I love it, they, they want organic relationships. It's like we want organic relationships, just like our food. Like, give us organic relationships. But see, few are willing to put in the work to make those relationships actually happen. Like, I want it to be organic, but I don't want to work for it. Welcome to consumerism. If you've ever planted something, you ever have a garden, you know that you can't just like, man, I really want organic vegetables, Been I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, I'm just going to pray for organic vegetables. Never plant water. You don't reap or sow if you don't do that. Right? And so organic, actually organic crops take more toil, more cultivation, more work. Because or the or organic food is harder to grow because uh, it doesn't use synthetic pesticides or fertilizers. Additionally, it, it doesn't use gen, uh, uh, ge, uh, genetically engineered seeds. It, it's just it's natural. It's organic. And what natural and organic does is it takes time, work, effort. And so many Christians are content with fake, cultural, engineer, cultural engineered relationships. Have a less nutrients, less benefit to themselves or the society around them. Why? Because they require less work. See, in the day and age in which it's going to require you to, to need a community that you can pour into, invest, and care for others, and they can care for you when the need is, is, is happening, it's going to require the work and toil now for that time later. That's what we see in ancient Egypt when God's people were about to experience a famine in the land in Egypt. And God used Joseph and gave them wisdom. He said, hey, we should set aside some grain, set aside all these things so that there can be flourishing and, pro- and, and, and we, can be, we can survive the years of famine. I want you to know there may be a day coming in our, in our age where there's a, there's a famine of sorts relationally as far as politically, socially, and culturally where Christians don't have a community to come back to, we will be alone, which God intends that we not be. We must live life in relationships in the context of biblical community so that we can do the commands that God has required. And so no more good consumerism, Christianity. Life-giving relationships take work, just like anything else in life. See, these shared relationships 
and this context of caring for one another should ultimately lead to uh, formative friendships. See, it should lead to formative friendships, not just functional friendships. Many of you have functional friendships with people. Maybe not necessarily here, but in your life, right? Functional friendships are just those that serve a function. You're at your job. I, these are my friends only because I'm working here, and we serve a function. When I get a new job, they're no longer my friends. I get new friends. Like, so this is how we live. We have functional friendships. Many people just live their life with functional friendships, not formative ones. And so when, you, when, you, when you, the work is here and gone, uh, when, you're, when you're, those friends are here and gone. We need formative friendships. These are t- the types of individuals who will speak into your life. It's those who do what Jesus says, make disciples. This is discipleship. And so it's sadly that, that formative friendships, it, when it comes to formative friendships, men and women speaking into your life, holding you to the standard of Christ, doing what the Bible teaches. Sadly, when it comes to formative friendships, this is where many Christians bail. So many Christians bail. We want consumer Christianity, not biblical Christianity. We want consumer community, not biblical community. So we don't really want people meddling in our business. We don't want our sin exposed. We don't want our heart revealed. We want our own echo chambers of confirmation bias. That's what we want in our relationships. We want them on our algorithms, and we want them in our friendships. We want everyone to tell us we're good and everything's okay. When you get too close to the line, I'll just hop out and and hit, hit, hit some more friends. Get, get, get something going on down the road. Just like we do everything. See, this is a person that's been well-trained to be a cultural clown. That's what they are. That's just who they are. When, when you don't want God's people or God's word to form your life, you're just taking a cue out of the progressive culture that you find yourself in, and you're not progressing, you're regressing. So God's community, we, we must be retrained as Christians to be committed to formative friendships. That's the next point. We must be committed to formative friendships. Now, some of you, you're new to Christianity. You're new to Jesus, or you've been walking with you. You're just now realizing, man, God has a standard, and things are changing for you, and you're, you're renewing your life with Jesus, and so you're like, all this just seems like a lot right now. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But, but we must be committed to forming friendships within the church. See, in Acts 2.42, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Just so you know, the word fellowship here does not mean just hanging out and eating food. That's hospitality. Fellowship is it's Christian community, Christian relationships. See, hospitality is what you do with non-Christians. Fellowship is what you do with Christians. See, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is the Bible, and they were devoted to fellowship, which is the church or, or Christian relationships, to, and, and to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. What they were committed to was God's word, will and ways. Hey, we want to do it Jesus' way. And so the apostles are teaching, oftentimes from the Old Testament, teaching the word of God. And it's how we get the New Testament right now. Most of the books, well, all the books are written by the apostles. And what we see here is this. They're written to the church, like us, gathered and scattered. So we see later in, in, in chapter 2 of Acts that they gathered, they, they, scat, they gathered corporately and they scattered in the homes throughout the week. They were committed to this gathering and scattering gathering and scattering as Christians. And they were committed to growing in Christ's likeness. This is what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. They weren't just devoted to reading books or listening to things. They were vo- devoted to living out the Word of God. Like I, I, That's a new verse. I haven't heard that one before. I haven't read that one. What did he say? 
man, let's talk about it. What do we got? We got we to gotta do that one. We got to start doing this one. This changes their life. They'd read God's word. And they, would, they would read their Bible and then it would go, we got to do things differently now. Not feeling shame because you haven't been, but, re- but remembering the mercy and grace of Jesus and going, okay, I was not following his word in ways. Now I see it. I will repent of that willfully. And now I'm just, I, now let's walk according to his ways. See, later in Acts 2, it was out of this community that they begin to meet the felt needs of one another. See, we, don't, we, we, we prioritize felt needs, but it, it, it happens in the context of formative friendships, real formation. See, formative friendships, it's when someone speaks into your life. So they can do verses, other verses in the Bible that are commanded of Christians to do, like Galatians 6.1. You can't do Galatians 6.1 without having formative friendships. That is, brothers, if anyone is caught in sin or transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. You can't do that verse if you don't have formative friendships. This means that you have to have the type of formative relationships with one another that, 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 that if you were to be aware of, if someone were to actually be aware of sin, you would confess sin and that you could walk with Jesus together. It's what we see as we study 1 Corinthians, we were in chapter 5, when, when there was a man sleeping with his dad's mom. And the church thought it was cool. They had pride for it. They threw a parade. It was, they, were, they were celebrating it. Instead of condemning it and calling that man to repentance, they let it go. And Paul rebukes them for that. The point here is that Christian brothers and sisters are to be devoted to Jesus and to his church, to his word, will, and ways, and his community, his family, and also to his holiness. So that the family members, we can, we can help, as family members, help one another walk upright according to God's word, will, and ways. We need one another to follow Jesus. This is where you get the, ter- this is implied in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus tells, he commands his disciples, go and make disciples. So convert people to Jesus and then their disciple. Then what? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Who are you going to teach to obey in a discipleship relationship without a formative friendship, without shared relationships? There's no lone wolf Christians. What we see here next is that formative friendships help you do three things. They help you follow Jesus. They help you fight sin. They help you fulfill the mission. This is the language we use here. So we want to follow Jesus, we want to fight sin, and we want to fulfill the mission. Why do we want to follow Jesus? It's because we love him. We worship him. He's a good God and king. He has saved us. We worship him with our whole lives. Our lives are centered around him. He is king. We bow to no one but Jesus, period. That's who we, so we want to follow him. And so that's the mission of every Christian should be to follow Jesus, to walk closely near Jesus, to, to stay near Jesus, to abide in Jesus. Well, what keeps us from abiding and staying near Jesus? Sin. So we, what do we do? We fight it. We wage war against not the sin in others, but the sin in our own heart. We wage war against the sin that would rise itself up in our own life to make us want to rebel against the good and glorious God of the Bible. We, we, we practice what Romans 8.13 says. We put to death the deeds of the body so that we can have life. We fight sin. Sin keeps us from God. We want to be near God, so we kill the thing that keeps us from God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, I believe. He said, why would I, why would I trifle with the, with the very thing that killed my best friend? Sin killed Jesus. 
Why would you flirt with it? Why would you hang around with it? Why would you cuddle up with it? Why would you be content with it? Why would you participate in it? Why would you willfully do it if it hung your best friend? The answer is, you didn't realize that till now. Or two, he's not your best friend. We fight our sin. Sin additionally distorts the truth and it harms and hurts other people. So we want to, it, it destroys and ruins relationships. So we want to repent of it, turn from it, forgive, re, walk in redemption and reconciliation. Number three, fulfill the mission. We need friendships and relationships that help keep us accountable to keep getting back out there. I know that when you see someone, if you're in, in a context in a community where someone, it, it, just think about the workout community, fitness, athletics. If someone is working hard and it's your friend, all of a sudden you start working out hard and you're, I mean, it's, just, it's just contagious. If you're in a community where everyone's reading a bunch of books and it has a bunch of podcasts, all of a sudden you start reading it and you're, you're part of it. The community you're, you are in will form you. How is the community you're in forming you? The church of Jesus Christ should be the type of formative community that helps us follow Jesus, fight sin, and then continue to get out there on mission so that more people can meet, know, love, trust Jesus to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth, the kingdom culture experienced on earth as it is in heaven as we are taught to pray. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end with this and talk about specifically about our church, how we work. We have gatherings and we have scatterings. The gathered church is what you see right now. We have two services, Sunday gathering, and then we have community groups and discipleship groups that scatter throughout the week. So these are, these are tight. I want to show you to see how these function. They function more like a, a right hand and a left hand or a right foot and a left foot. If you were like riding a bicycle with only one foot, you'd just be spinning around in a circle in a cul-de-sac. But with a right foot and a left foot, what happens? You go forward and go straight, right? If you have a weak right leg, weak, weak left leg, just not so much balance. But you start going with a, with a strong right and a strong left, you drive straight on a, on a bike. And this is what we want to do as a church. We want to drive straight on the path of Jesus to do his mission and proclaim his word and his name in this city. And the way we do that is in, in our gatherings and our scatter, scattering. So the purpose of our gatherings, what happens here on a Sunday gathering is preaching and teaching like you're hearing now. But then when we scatter into our groups, there's care and community going on there. There's relationships, shared relationships, formative friendships. See, Sunday gatherings lead the mission but the, 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 our small groups, our community groups, our discipleship groups, what they do is they follow the preaching they fo uh, the, in the mission and vision of the church. They continue it. On Sunday, you see a primary uh, uh, visible leader. So whether it's me or one of our other elders preaching, you see typically more a primary leader. But then when we scatter in groups, what we see is we have multiple leaders uh, and, and, and they're less visible leaders. So some of you don't know who all the community group leaders are. Uh, and, and, and we're going to tell you about them here a little bit later. But... Uh, Additionally, Sunday is a larger gathering. Second service is a really larger gathering, uh, but uh, it's a, it's a larger gathering than a household. This is uh, than than a house. Uh, but then in in our groups, whether it be uh, you have individuals in small groups, so whether two or three or or larger groups, maybe a little bit larger, uh, eight to twelve in a home. Um, Sunday gatherings at this point in our our church have become the front door. We used to have like 80% of our people in groups. We now, because we've doubled in size over the past six months, uh, five months, we've, we now have half of our people, uh, you know, we're just getting to know, not even in groups yet. So uh, Sunday has become the front door, whereas the groups truly are the church's living room. It's a place for hospitality, friendship, fellowship. Uh, the Sunday gathering draws people to the church, and then our groups connect people with the church. They, they connect the people in the church. 
Uh, additionally, the Sunday gathering is uh, proclaims with authority. So, uh, and then the ga- and then the, the the groups explain with accountability. So, when I'm preaching, it's this is what God says. We got to obey it. We got to do it. It's more proclamation, and then in groups, it's more conversation. Additionally, lastly, uh, the the larger group provides general principles. The, at, our, at our Sunday gathering, and then when we get into our groups, we make time for personal applications, and we answer questions. See, the reality is we need both. We need both. And I get it with schedules. Sometimes we can't always have both, but we should be committed as, a, as Christians to pursue both. The Sunday gathering, gathering corporately as, as the body, as a family, as a celebration together, but also in, in the context of whether it be group, uh, community groups or discipleship groups, smaller groups where you can, can, can be more accountable, be more known, have what we've, dis- we've called here today, formative friendships to help you follow Jesus, fight your sin, and fulfill Jesus' mission. We need both. And so this is how we do it here. We have a gathering and we have our scattered groups of both community groups and discipleship groups. We'll talk about how you can get involved with those later. But right now what we need... I need you to do is to, to think upon what has been taught today. Where are you at in your life? Some of you, do you need Jesus? Do you need to repent of sin, trust Jesus, become Christians for the first time? Join the heavenly family. Others of you, are you have you resisted community? Have you resisted, what I mean by that is formative friendships. You have shared relationships, you have friends, but not many people want to walk closely with you and follow Jesus with you and help you fight your sin. Maybe you resolve today that I'm going to take the next step towards being a part of formative friendships and community. Some of you, this is maybe your first time or second time to, to be here and you're like, hey, I just want to Figure this church out a little bit. Well, you got to hear a lot about who we are today. We'd love to answer more questions for you. But as we respond now, I want to remind us, I want to remind us that we've been commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission to be disciples who make disciples. Meaning this, we're disciples who are being discipled and are making disciples. And true biblical community takes work. It's not the buzzword that the, the culture uses. This is the real deal. People sin. Life is messy. It's hard. But God is good. His spirit is in you. His ways are best. It's worth the effort. My question will be to you. Will you take steps today to cultivate formative friendships, share relationships with God and with others today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you, though looking at us in our sinful state, didn't say, I don't want them, but rather you said, I want them. I want them to be in my family, so I will pay for them to be in my family with my life. That's love. May we be in all of it today. May that motivate us, push us to right relationship with you and to love, serve others, to forgive where we need to forgive, to, to seek out reconciliation where we need to seek out reconciliation, to Put ourselves in the line of, of community so that we can be formed according to your word, will, and ways. Lord Jesus, help us, Holy Spirit, empower us to respond in a manner that, that, that you are, that brings you glory and that you are speaking. And as we also begin to partake in communion as, as we close our time, Lord Jesus, would you give us hearts and minds that want to do things your way, Jesus? that see that, that you've died in our place for our sins, that you've covered our guilt, past, present, and future, that we are truly redeemed. May we, may we go to the table today as sons and daughters of the Most High King, remembering that there's more mercy and grace in you, Jesus, than sin in us, and would that empower us for the life and ministry you've called us to where we live, work, and play in Jesus' name.